Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you have never listened to this show before, we have just topped 400 episodes, and uh, I think they're just getting better. We're bringing in a lot of different people. We're, we're getting some different topics, uh, and it's a lot of fun for me. I started this show as a learning experience for the audience and for myself. Now with, gosh, you know, 370 interviews of entrepreneurs, some of those episodes are just me talking, but most of them are dialogues with people who are entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and they're business leaders and they're starting new companies or they've grown companies and now they have hundreds of employees. The idea behind these interviews is that I'm going to give you a spark of inspiration, make you think a little differently about what you do with your company. And I think today's show might be one of those episodes that'll make you stop and think. So before I get started, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. Now, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers. You know what I'm talking about, things that you have to mail to them, t-shirts and mugs and other stuff. And dealing with that physical stuff, that can be a pain and it steals all of your precious time. Well, my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you totally control. I know because I'm printing those shirts that say, try new things, and Amplifier is who I'm working with. And they integrate with your e-commerce shop, and they also, if you're doing giveaway campaigns, they can help you with those. They are great for big internet powerhouses, as well as entrepreneurs who are just starting out. On-demand means you don't have any inventory risk. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier will handle it all for you. Go to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So today, we have Melissa Dobbins, and she is with a company that she started called Career Place, and they are doing some interesting things in the world of hiring, and I met her recently, and I just her, her enthusiasm for what she's doing was infectious, and I said, you have to be on my podcast, and she said yes, and we scheduled it. So, Melissa, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So, what is Career Place, and, and how did you start it? So Career Place is a company that's focused on removing bias from hiring. And, you know, let's be honest, we are all biased. It's part of the human psychology, but it's not a bad thing. We need our biases. It's what's kept us alive all of these very long generations. It's what allows us to know to run from a tiger, maybe not so much from a kitten. The problem that we have... <laughs> I don't know. Some people want to run from a kitten. but it's I, okay. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but we'll put that aside. Um, but the, the problem that we have is when those biases get triggered when we interact with each other, it leads us astray. It makes us jump to conclusions that are not always correct and are often unfair to the person we're jumping to conclusions with. And you can imagine that that has a really negative impact in the world of business and in hiring. So what we've done is rather than looking at things like algorithms, which could have biases within them, that's a big problem in much of that space, or training and awareness, which is great and works for the time you're in the room during training and awareness. And instead, we focused on removing the elements that are triggering those biases. So we took the process and we shifted it away from 
things like resumes and names and other biasing triggers, and instead focused on the job. So imagine now that employers can define what they need in a job, what success is and how to measure it. And then all the candidates go through and are evaluated against those metrics, but they're done so anonymously. So when you're evaluating responses from your candidates, you don't know if you're looking at a man or a woman or their ethnicity or their age or their educational pedigree or any other number of things that can cause those biases. And that's what we did. So I have a question, though. At some point, don't you have to meet them in person? Like you get your top three or four candidates. Don't those biases creep back in? They absolutely do. And that's an excellent question. And I can talk later about some of the things we're doing with that. But the problem that we're focused on first, because you've got to start somewhere, is those biases that throw out the resumes to begin with. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, when you have those three to five candidates that are sitting in front of you, you have already, through your process, objectively qualified them. And that bias of, oh, a woman, she can't be an engineer. That's going to be dampened because they've already proven to you that they're a great engineer. (laughs) So now you can focus on that last piece and that fit and that rapport. So let's back up. What did you do before? What did you do before you were an entrepreneur? So when I say I was an engineer, probably not surprising. (laughs) What? A woman can't be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Exactly. Actually, I ran product strategy and product management for tech companies, mostly in the B2B space. And quite frankly, like many entrepreneurs, I started down this path because I was angered by a problem. And I was angered to the point where I kind of had that moment where I had talking to myself. It was in the shower, I'll admit. And I I basically said, you know, either I have to put up with this, put up with these ridiculous questions that people are asking me during the interview process that are clearly because I'm a woman, such as, can you fire people? Because that's emotionally difficult. (laughs) I mean, I'm a VP level. I I got this. (laughs) But, you know, these questions that were driving me nuts because these were the questions they were focused on, not if I could get money for my programs, not if I knew how to talk to a board or if I could settle down a really angered customer because we weren't delivering something on time. The real challenges in a product strategy and product management lead role. Instead, they were focused on if I was going to pick up my kid if they had the sniffles. The answer is yes, I will definitely pick up my daughter if she's sick. Um, and anyone asking so, those questions? So wait a minute. So would I? Yes, that's what I was. I, that's basically. I stopped the interview and I said, "Look, if you're trying to figure out if I'm going to leave work to go pick up a sick child, my answer is yes. And if you're a parent and your answer is no, I'm really not the person you should be asking questions to." <laughs> and then I walked out of the interview because that's not an environment I wanted to work in. So what are some of the challenges that you find, though, now that you've started this company that that goes and attacks sort of these types of biases that that we're talking about and things that angered you as as an employee and as a candidate? Is is it a hard sell to a company to to be able to say, hey, we're going to we're going to automate some of this and take your bias away? I mean, don't some people like their bias? So that's a great question. Like, like it, they don't uh, think it's bias. I know people who don't think it's bias. They just think they have really good judgment and people skill, people, uh, you know, skills at interpreting who people are. Exactly. And one of the biggest things that we hear is, yes, there's a ton of bias. They've all seen the data. I'm not biased. So (laughs) (laughs) you're starting with this. um, If you're trying to solve a problem, they have to admit they have it first. And that is difficult. Isn't isn't that true? Like like in politics, the people on the other party are the one who play politics. It's we don't. They do. Yeah, exactly. So and then you get a bunch of blame game and you kind of have to wait through that. Um, process. I'm not the one biased, but you know, my 
my buddy over there, the guy. So my competitors, my competitors are really biased. Yeah. Oh no, they're they're actually it's easier than that because they like to blame people within the company, you know, because their numbers aren't good, but it's not their fault. So it's it's that person over there at that table that's or that desk that's causing the problem. So that's part of it. It's it's an uncomfortable conversation because people don't want to look in the mirror. And when they do, what they often see is, uh, I call it the carnival mirror effect. They see something. It's not reality, but they definitely see something. So you have to have the conversation without going on the attack because people don't want to feel like they're part of the problem. It is, it is very uncomfortable, but we have to talk about the issues. Um, we keep it very numbers-based in a lot of ways. Um, we also keep it very broad, not using terms like you in order to deflate any of that, that feel. But one of the other big challenges that we see with a lot of companies is a general fear of change. So they know they have a problem. They want to do something about it, but they're either afraid of failure or afraid of the process of change in order to make that difference and be better. So then that conversation needs to turn into why it is absolutely important to address these issues now and, and what you get on the other side and then diffuse this, the fear of it's how hard it is to get there. So what do you get on the other side? Let's talk about why diversity and avoiding bias is good for the company. Well, the numbers make it really easy. And there's a lot of conversations you can have, a lot of emotional pleas. But taking all that aside and just looking at the numbers, for instance, there was a McKinsey study at the beginning of this year that was released that said that if you have, or the top quadrant that they studied of teams that had executives with women, so diversity from a gender perspective, were 21% more likely to have above average performance. If you take that and you make it an ethnicity diversity for the executives, it jumped up to 33%. And then if you bring it to the board members and you have diversity in the board, it's up to 43%. So the numbers themselves are huge. And then you take that a step further and you look at what happens when a company is diverse. Well, who are you selling to? Whether you're selling to your another business, your B2B, or you're selling to your consumers, your B2C, my guess is you're, you're selling to a diverse set of buyers. If you don't reflect that in all of your teams from design to sales, how are you going to resonate with those buyers? So, so diversity is more creativity. And it's more innovation. So I think diversity is important. I grew up in a pretty homogeneous setting <laughs> as far as the city that I grew up in. And, you know, I've noticed as I've gotten older and I've had friends from different backgrounds, different religions, different uh, races, different sexual orientation, people who grew up in different parts of the country or the world. I think that it allows us to have, you know, uh, like you said, more creativity, more understanding, if, if nothing else. However, one of the things I've found is that, you know, sometimes for a lot of people, they, they know that, but, you know, they're, they're scared of change or they're scared of things being different. How do you get people away from sort of that natural, I don't know if it's a bias or a gut reaction or, or whatever. I mean, I think we're better when we're surrounded by diversity, but how do you get that message across other than just the numbers? Well, you're absolutely right. People's comfort zone is to be around people like them. And there's study after study that's, that shows that. And so what we're doing is we're basically saying, get out of your comfort zone. Now, before we go down this path, comfort zone means different things. For example, when I hire people like me, 
I'm hiring a bunch of science fiction nerds who have engineering degrees. We all look different, different genders. That's different, a whatever. fun. That's a fun party. Yes, except when there's a Star Wars movie oh, that a, comes a new out a because, new release. Nobody comes to work. Well, or all we do at work is talk about the release for hours upon hours, um, so which is, you know, a great example of why diversity is a good thing. If you had someone in that group that's like, guys, football, football, come on. <laughs> exactly. That could help us move past the exciting conversation of why you may or may not like the solo movie. <laughs> but, you know, so people want to hire those that are like themselves. And independent of the numbers, what happens is everyone thinks the same way. And it only takes one major mistake where everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea to realize you've got a problem. So kind of like the lemmings jumping off of the cliff, one goes, they're all like, that sounds like a great idea. And off the cliff they go. That's what happens without diversity. So, but diversity isn't just, hey, we've got to get the, you know, middle-aged white guys to get on board because doesn't this happen with everybody? I mean, isn't there, isn't there pushback no matter what somebody's, no matter what somebody's norm is, aren't these problems the same? Yes. It's look around. If everyone thinks like you, you are not diverse. So to say that diversity is um, anyone who is not white male, and by the way, from the EEOC perspective, so from the government perspective, diversity is everybody except white men under the age of 40 who are straight, never served in the military, and do not have a disability, which is an interesting narrow definition of non-diverse. But <laughs> so over 40, so I am now diverse now that I'm 50? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Um, but to think about it, like you think about some positions that are commonly women, for example. So you look at education or nursing and diversity is going to mean something very different than in engineering or leadership. What matters is you have people who think differently, different backgrounds, different ways of approaching problems, different strengths and weaknesses. But aren't we at a spot right now in our society where we are less respectful of people who aren't like us. I mean, we see it in politics. You know, if, if, if you have a different political belief, you know, you're hated. So, I mean, is, is this getting, I mean, I, I would think we're in 2018, acceptance of differences when it comes to gender and sexual orientation, that stuff is on the table and being talked about. But isn't respect of differences when it comes to ideas getting worse? I think that's, depends on the perspective. There is a very hot political debate going on every day. Um, my team gets sucked into it all the time because we've got a very far left liberal, we've got a very far right conservative, we've got some people in the middle. Um, so those are a lot of fun conversations. But on the other end of the spectrum, we also have generations that are coming into the workforce that have zero tolerance for diversity. So, for example, Glassdoor um, just a couple of years ago put out a report that said 18% of applicants now put DNI, diversity and inclusion, as one of the top priorities when they're looking at companies. So, yes, in some sense, it feels like this country is maybe pulling apart a little bit and you know polarizing, but in very different other ways, we're in the exact opposite. We're no longer tolerating disrespect. We're no longer tolerating being tolerated. Now it's a matter of being accepted and celebrated for who we are and all bringing something of value to the table. And it's in those environments that we can really, truly succeed. 
Yeah, as I get older, the one thing I'm learning is, is you don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to have shared the same life experiences as everybody. You don't have to have the same religious beliefs or political beliefs. But you just have to be – you have to start at a level of respect and you know, and at least try to have a level of understanding. And, and that's just my belief is we're never going to get there 100%, but if you try to go there, you're going to be better off. So in your office – let's go to politics for a minute. <laughs> You've got this variety of people who have different beliefs. That could be a powder keg, but it sounds like it's not. How do you get it's past not. how do you get past the we hate the guy in that cubicle and the people in the middle, we all hate them and you know, whatever. How do you, how do you get past those divisions? Well, I can tell you how we did it and how, how I've done it before. I, I think everybody in, in the different cultures will do it differently. So we have a couple of rules. I will admit one of them was created for me when the solo movie came out. <laughs> but so for example, banter that doesn't have to do with work. We time box it. Yeah, 15 minutes at the beginning of a long conversation that will be planted at the end of on Fridays. On normal meetings, it's closer to 10 minutes where we can have a free for all of whatever conversation as long as it remains respectful. We also are a group of people that, that value each other. The strength that we bring, the camaraderie that we have is very strong. We truly enjoy each other's company. That doesn't mean we're going to get along all the time, and it definitely doesn't mean we agree. In fact, that's why we're such a great team. So we've surrounded ourselves, myself and, and my co-founder, surrounded ourselves by people who are contrary, who are the devil's advocate, who are going to push on everything, because otherwise it's going to be our customers that do that. It's going to be our competition that does that. Why would we not want to do it internally first and think through problems in all sorts of different facets? The byproduct of that means we have some very interesting political debates, and sometimes it's hard to stop me from, from getting into very long-winded conversations about how character development may not have been optimized in the last movie. <laughs> <laughs> political debates aside, let's talk about Solo. Exactly. I, exactly. I, I, I'm just going to go there. So I read an article about the movie and they said the movie did a really good job of answering a lot of questions about Han Solo that none of us cared to ask. You know, as a huge fan and I was I was a convert at, at 14. That is when I saw the original movies on TV, complete with commercials. Yeah, I don't think you were born when the original movie came out. I, I, I will say I am part of what I call the Jedi generation. That's the generation that straddles between. Um, you were the, born between the, the, the first three and the next three. Well, no, the, for during the time of the first three. So we're not quite millennials. We're, we're not quite wise. We kind of have a little of, of each in there. Yeah, I was 10 or 11 years old and got to go see the original one in one of those giant, so old, those you giant, <laughs> those giant old theaters that used to, you know, be like the screen was like half a block long. I got to see it in that setting, and I thought, ah, oh, this is great. Who knew it was going to change the world? But it was a great movie when you're 11. It, so I was 14. It was a very – like so I experienced it, I think, at the right, the right age. And so I'm a huge, huge fan. And when it comes to Solo, the thing that I was most disappointed with was they didn't earn their twists. And I love stories. I'm a huge storyteller. And to not earn your character twist, to just change your character to progress the story, yeah. it's not cool in any setting. So, so one more thing on this subject, because we are talking about diversity. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, I am indiscriminatory. <laughs> I love them both. Me and they both have too. a very special place in my heart. Me too. <laughs> Me too. That's right. Um, I, but I, you know, I, the, I, am, I, am, I am sci-fi agnostic when it comes to those two. 
Yes. What I will say about both of those, and I appreciated them growing up, especially as I was clearly a kid that was destined for engineering um, as I was growing up in a world, this was pre Big Bang Theory and all that, you know, being a nerd is cool. I was not cool at the time. Um, There was so much that both of those franchises have done to show the diversity in just how people can approach their the jobs. You know, Leia had a gun. She was a warrior just like Han, and that was not the norm. Right. And then you go over to Star Trek and you had female captains. Right. So, you know, as yeah, much Jane, as people Janeway make fun kicked, of me, Janeway kicked ass, but we could go, we could do like this, all of a sudden we could, we could start a sci-fi podcast. We don't need to go there. So, so what? But it was great messaging. It was great messaging for people now. It was great messaging growing up. And I think it did have a profound impact on what yeah. I believe in. And I actually think Captain Janeway is my favorite captain, but that's, you know. That's my own thoughts. Uh, Although Picard, he's pretty cool. Um, So here's the deal. What advice do you have for somebody who has that pain like you did saying, I have a problem with these interviews, who wants to go out and start their own thing, whatever it is, whatever their pain point is, they want to take a leap and start a business. What would you tell them? So that's an excellent question. And I kind of, as I was thinking through the type of advice that I get asked about, what kept coming to mind was being a new parent. And what parents is they're expecting or thinking about having kids, they go to other parents and, you know, give me advice. What's it like being a parent? And what I've learned from that experience, because I did do that. <laughs> what I learned from that experience is a couple of things. One, everything is different. So every experience, every child is different. So it's never going to be the same twice. So you only have one kid. Two. Oh, you I have two. two. So because I have very different. I, right. I, was gonna, I tell everybody my kids couldn't be more different from the beginning if I was part of a weird science experiment. Yes. Yeah. And I'm one of three and we were all different. So the challenges are going to be there, but they're always going to be different. I will tell you this, no matter what, it is not easy. It is not easy to be an entrepreneur. It is hard and it is all consuming and it's going to break your heart and give you more excitement than you've ever felt sometimes at the very same time. So to be an entrepreneur, you, you, I would say make sure it's something you really want to do. This is not a get rich quick. This is not a, I don't want a boss anymore. This is a, I am on a mission to make a difference, to change the world, because that is what you're doing. You're giving yourself to this mission. So make sure what you're giving yourself for is worth it. And beyond that, it's going to be, it's going to be up to you, but just like kids, it's not easy, but there's nothing more rewarding. <laughs> So I've got a couple more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Melissa Dobbins. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, right now, jump over to, well, not right now, listen to the rest of the episode, but then jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Melissa, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your company right now? So we're doing a couple of things Um, to answer some of the questions from before, like how do you help companies as they start navigating the space of removing bias, of approaching applicants in a more um, objective way and fair way. So one of the things to help with that we launched is to create some examples. 
So we took two jobs. We took the call center specialists and we took HR generalists and we basically created mock jobs. So job profiles and, and questions and all of these things that you can use to start seeing what can, what is this really like? And the idea is with examples, with context, it's going to help alleviate some of that fear and give people a starting point rather than just saying, okay, go. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that we're doing that I'm, I'm super excited about based on some, some conversations we had with a few of our partners and uh, we've been partnering with uh, special advocacy programs is hints and tips. What are simple things companies can do right now, right now without spending a dime to help make a more inclusive hiring environment. And I'll, I'll give you just one example that I talked about with, with one of our um, partners and they're up in Seattle and called Best. And what they do is work with um, sex trafficking victims who've come out of that world and they have no resume. They have no background. They don't even know what transferable skills are. And they need to come into that workplace to start generating revenue, to start providing for their families and starting new life. And there are some things that we could do as employers, as hiring managers, that can make a huge difference in how they're able to get that job, to go through that application experience, as simple as keeping the door open. Because if somebody's come from that background and they're in a room with a man who is interviewing them and that door shuts, that can create a ton of anxiety. How simple is that? Just ask if they'd like to keep the door open makes for a far more inclusive experience. And there's lots of tips like that. So we're pulling those together with our partners and we're going to make those available to, to whoever wants them to help make a difference right now. Mm, that's awesome. So I love to ask the people who come onto the show, who is it out there in the entrepreneur sphere, sort of the world of entrepreneurs? Who do you admire? Because I think entrepreneurs are observers and I love to hear what people say. Who do you, who do you say, wow, she or he, cool stuff they're doing? So at a macro level, and I know this is an odd response, I have, I have a lot of admiration for just the world of entrepreneurs. This is, this, is, this is not an easy thing. And there are people out there from huge companies that they build empires to those on a local level who are, who are impacting their community every day, who are making a difference. And I would argue it is because of entrepreneurs. It is because of all of you that we are in the world we're in today and we continue to take one step after another to make progress. On a very personal level, the entrepreneur that had the most impact on my life was my father. And he had one of those experiences, you know, comes from Brooklyn. He did not come from pretty much anything in Brooklyn. And he worked his way up. He worked his way up in, co in corporate, the corporate world, and then went off and started his own company when I was a, a teenager. And there were good years and there were bad years. And I've seen him experience the range of emotions all at once. And for everything else, he showed what was possible. And I was really privileged because I got to grow up seeing that it is possible, that you can succeed, that you can move forward. And then I met, you know, just yesterday, um, I met a man, Ruben Cantu, over at the University of Texas. I know Ruben. You know Ruben, excellent. And he's doing, so I was really blessed. I got to see this firsthand with my father and what was possible. He's trying to do that for people who don't have that experience, for those who are underprivileged, for those who, who don't have the network and the people in their lives to make that. And he's, he's pulling together a program to uh, cultivate entrepreneurs within the Austin community. And that's huge. So from big to small, there's so much impact that entrepreneurs and those with the entrepreneurial spirit can do. 
Yep, that's that's exactly right. And I say it every time. It's you know we have that responsibility to do more than make money. We we need to find a way to give back. And I know you're doing that with everything that you do and some of the groups that you're partnering with and stuff like that. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and agreeing to share your insight and your ideas and to open up this can of worms talking about heavy subject of Star Wars versus Star Trek. No, I mean the heavy subject of why uh, diversity matters and, and, and what bias is all about. I think that's something that a lot of people uh, either don't think about or try not to uh, think about. And so I appreciate you coming on and having that conversation. I'm sure it inspired a lot of people to think differently. So thank you. It was great to be on the show. So if people want to find you and they want to find out about Career Place, where do they go? Well, our, our um, company is very aptly named. You go to www.careerplace.com or sorry, career.place. Career.place, yeah. Uh, yeah, so www.career.place. You see, I even said it. We, we try to stay with our company, career.place, because otherwise everyone automatically .coms, and I just did it to myself. <laughs> so not .com, .place. Um, and if you'd like to hear more about me, I'm always happy to have a conversation, and I'd love to hear more about what you're doing. So you can contact me directly at mdobbins at career.place. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I say at every show, thank you to the people who tune in. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So if you want to find out more about me, you can go to tomsinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Uh, I've just started promoting it because it just hit a few weeks back. If you haven't watched the TED Talk that I did, uh, The Art of Giving Small, you can find that at tomsinger.com slash TEDx. And uh, you can watch that video. And I'd love for you to watch the video and tell me what you think and maybe share it with a friend. Uh, if you like this podcast, come back and listen again. We're back every couple of days with interviews with people just as cool as Melissa, I know you're thinking, what? How are you going to find people that cool? But, but it's true. And uh, I'm going to challenge you as you go out there. Go out and try some new things. And as you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.